Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to study the Bible with us for a few moments as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' famous and favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God. We've been pointing out that the biblical story is a unified and coherent drama. God is working a great plan in the world, and that plan was initiated not only at Genesis when he created Adam and Eve, but more importantly in Genesis chapter 12, where taking one family, God decided to give to that family, the family of Abraham, the promise of land and a distinguished descendant. There's a twofold promise involved in the great oath-bound commitment God made to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, we find that God invited Abraham to give up those things that were dearest to him, his hometown, his native country in Babylon, and his wider family, and he was to depart to a land that God would show him. Abraham obeyed without question, and he's therefore the model of faith for the Christian. Abraham indeed is called in Romans 4, the father of the faithful, and we are urged by Paul in Romans chapter 4 to have the same faith as Abraham, to embrace the faith of our father Abraham. Even though we're Gentiles, we can be reckoned as Jews, so to speak. And I use that term Jew loosely because, as we know, Abraham preceded the existence of Judah, from which we get the name Jew. But traditionally, the Jews and Abraham are linked because Abraham, of course, is the progenitor of the family of Israel. Abraham is the father of Isaac, who is the father of Jacob, and he's the father of the twelve tribes, including the distinguished tribe of Judah, from whom the Messiah Jesus came. Abraham, anyway, was invited to leave Ur of the Chaldees in Babylon and go in faith to the land of the promise. Now, the covenant made between God and Abraham was simply this, that God would give to him, Abraham, and to his seed forever, in perpetuity, the whole of the land of Canaan, what we now call the land of Israel. Now, that promise was dramatically increased to cover the wide ranges of the whole world, because when the Messiah came, who was the singular seed to whom the promise of the inheritance was made, along with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, when that Messiah came, it was known that God had promised indeed dominion over the whole world, the kingdom begins in Israel, it has its capital as Jerusalem, but it will extend to the far corners of the earth, according to Psalm 2. Ask of me, God says to the Messiah there in Psalm 2, and I will give you the uttermost parts of the earth as your inheritance. That's the inheritance promised to Abraham, to the distinguished seed, Jesus, and of course we as Christians can become incorporated in that seed. We are to be in Christ. And if we're in union with Christ, then we're going to receive the same blessings as were promised to Abraham first and to his distinguished descendant, Jesus Christ. The text on all of this is the famous one in Galatians 3, verse 29, which reads like this, If you are Christians, then you count as the seed of Abraham, and you become heirs according to the promise. What promise? Well, Romans 4.13 has the answer. The promise to Abraham was that he would be heir of the world, not only heir of the land, the land of Palestine, the land of Israel, but also ultimately the land which is the entirety of the earth. Blessed are the meek, Jesus says, taking up this very same promise from Genesis 12, 
and repeated in Psalm 37, Blessed are the meek, Jesus promised his followers. They're going to inherit the kingdom of God. They're going to inherit the earth. And so you see the land promise covenanted by God to Abraham in Genesis 12, Genesis 13, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, and so on. That great land promise which undergirds the entirety of the Bible, that becomes the promise of the kingdom of God in the teaching of Jesus. In fact, the gospel as Jesus preached it was about the kingdom. And so the gospel is about the promise made to Abraham and to his seed. The whole of the promise made by God to Abraham might be summed up like this. It's the promise of the soil and the seed. All the blessings promised in the Bible are related to either the seed, who is Jesus Christ, or the soil, which is the land or the kingdom of God. Now, the gospel, as Jesus preached it, had to do then with the promises made to Abraham. Jesus did not invent the idea of the gospel because, as Paul said in Galatians 3, verse 8, the gospel had been preached to Abraham beforehand. It was nothing new. Now, it's true, of course, that Jesus expanded on and developed the whole idea of the gospel. He added conditions in regard to lifestyles in the Sermon on the Mount. But the concept underlying the gospel, a permanent inheritance of the kingdom or the land, was exactly the promise made to Abraham. And so Paul is able to say in Romans 15, verse 8, that Jesus Christ was a minister to the circumcision to the Jews to confirm the promises made to the fathers. The story is very simple. It's the story of the seed and the soil. The oath-bound covenant made by God to Abraham, who is the father of the faithful, that he would inherit in perpetuity the land and that he would inherit it through the blessing to be given to his distinguished seed, the Messiah. We as Christians then become children of Abraham and heirs of those Jewish and Israelitish promises. No wonder then that Jesus said in chapter 4 of John's Gospel, salvation comes from the Jews. God chose the Jews, and the blessings given to the Jews through Abraham and through the Messiah are to extend to those of all races, in Revelation 5, verse 10, then, we find a glorious song being sung to the Lamb there. And the gist of that song is that Jesus, as Messiah, has died, shed his blood to cover our sins, to atone for our sins, and he's gathered people from every nation and tongue and language and has formed them into a kingdom of priests or kings and priests. The original promise was made, you know, in Exodus 19 to Israel that they would be kings and priests. And Revelation 5 verse 10 says, They shall reign as kings upon the earth. I have to tell you that that doesn't sound like going to heaven. In Christian circles today we hear constantly about when I go to heaven or so-and-so is in heaven or won't heaven be wonderful. That's simply not the language of the Bible. Jesus never promised anyone heaven. He promised him the inheritance made to Abraham. And Jesus expressed it this way. Blessed are the meek, they're going to inherit the earth, and they're going to reign as kings on the earth. Matthew 5, verse 5, Revelation 5, verse 10. Heaven in the Bible, said a leading Cambridge scholar of the Bible recently, heaven in the Bible is nowhere the destination of the dying. It would be thrilling and refreshing for students of the Bible to give up this heaven language and to begin to relate to Jesus by thinking as Jesus thought. We hear much about making a relationship with Jesus, 
Wouldn't it be sensible to speak Jesus' words and to think like Jesus? Didn't Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16 say that we have, or should have, the mind of Christ? Can we have the mind of Christ if we constantly use language which contradicts his words? Wouldn't it be our wisdom to adopt the language of Jesus and speak of inheriting the kingdom, of praying thy kingdom come, and of celebrating that great messianic banquet, that festival to be held in Jerusalem when the kingdom comes? Wasn't Joseph of Arimathea still waiting for the kingdom after the ministry of Jesus? Mark chapter 15, verse 43. Didn't the disciples ask about the restoration of the kingdom to Israel in Acts 1.6? And Jesus there, you notice, did not correct their question. He didn't say to them, how Jewish you are, how little you've understood my teaching. On the contrary, he assumed that the kingdom would indeed be restored to Israel one day. He simply didn't know when that was going to happen, and he told the disciples that they couldn't know the date of that future restoration. But that that restoration was coming, the restoration of the kingdom to Israel, was obvious to Jesus as it was to the disciples. After all, Jesus had earlier promised them that they would be granted royal positions to sit on thrones in a regathered Israel in the land, and they would administer the twelve tribes as co-regents and co-administrators, co-executives of the kingdom with Jesus. You'll find that extraordinarily interesting promise made in Matthew 19, verse 28, and Luke chapter 22, verses 28 to 30. That promise of rulership, of executive position in the kingdom, is extended to the entire church, Jew and Gentile alike. In the 19th chapter of Luke, Jesus told a parable about himself as the nobleman who had to depart to heaven for a while and then to return to reward his faithful servants for the work that they'd done in the cause of the gospel. And what did Jesus say to the faithful servant? Well done. Take authority over five or ten cities. Jesus, you see, has a straightforward, concrete, external idea of the kingdom, nothing wispy and vague and Gnostic, as so often we hear today. The kingdom of God meant a real world empire, to be established in Jerusalem and extending its benign influence across the world. If you're interested in putting the Bible story together in an intelligent and comprehensive manner, I invite you to request from us at the telephone number to be given at the end of this program an article entitled Genesis and the Covenant Made with Abraham, another article entitled The Promise to Abraham that he would be heir of the world, and a third item, an article discussing the issue of the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. That question in Acts 1 verse 6, is this the time to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's what the disciples asked Jesus as their famous last question. That, of course, was the right question based on the whole biblical revelation and based indeed on Jesus' own teaching about the kingdom of God. Now, some traditions in theology, a Calvinist tradition, for example, has totally misunderstood the intention here of the disciples, in fact misunderstood Jesus in a somewhat disastrous way. Calvin, the famous reformer, says there were in that question about the restoration of Israel, there were more errors, Calvin said, in that question than there were words. What an insult to the apostles! What an insult to Jesus' disciples, the ones whom he trained so carefully in the issue of the kingdom! In fact, they'd been preaching the kingdom with Jesus. They'd heard him preach it constantly for three and a half years. 
They knew what the kingdom of God was going to be, and they knew indeed, because the prophets of Israel had constantly said this, that the kingdom was going to be restored to Israel. And so they naturally asked that question in Acts 1.6, Has the time now finally arrived for you, Jesus, to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus' reply was simply, It's not for you to know the times and the seasons which God has placed in his own authority, but you're going to receive power in a few days' time, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on you publicly as the new representatives of my commission and my mission to the world to preach the gospel. Now, notice something most significant and important for Bible understanding here. The Spirit, according to Jesus in Acts 1, 5 through 7, the Spirit was to come in a few days' time. However, the coming of the kingdom was to be at a time unknown. Do you see there with absolute clarity that the coming of the Spirit at the ascension of Jesus is not the same event as the coming of the kingdom? That's proved quite simply by the fact that there's a time limit set for the Spirit's coming. It's going to be within a few days' time. But there's an unknown time period to elapse before the restoration of the kingdom. Therefore, the coming of the kingdom is not the coming of the Spirit. The coming of the Spirit in the Bible is a down payment. It's a foretaste. It's an anticipation of the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God itself properly belongs to the future, and it's going to be inaugurated and initiated by the great second coming of Jesus. Our time is running out for today. We invite you to join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.